Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SEAL Project Podcast. I'm Coach John Bush, and I'm here with Dr. Anahita Barbode. And we're going to have new episodes of this podcast for you twice a month, so make sure you subscribe and get notifications so you're aware when those new episodes come out. I'm so excited today, given who our guest is. I was actually thinking about getting up and doing a few laps around the house before we start this episode. <laughs> we are thrilled to have Dr. Jason Karp with us today. He's a TED speaker and author of 13 books. Dr. Karp has given hundreds of talks at many of the world's top fitness conferences and coaching clinics. He has been an instructor for USA Track and Field Level 3 coaching certification and coaching camps at the U.S. Olympic Training Center. We've been looking forward to this a lot, learning about how mental health is impacted by physical exercise and that kind of thing. How did you get started with all this? Uh, I started when I was a kid, actually. I started, I was very active. I played soccer and baseball and track. And it was really when I started running track in sixth grade that I just immediately became fascinated with the science of athletic performance. It always interested me, why can one person run faster than another? And so that kind of placed me on a road that I'm still on all these years later. So running specifically, because you seem to like that more than other forms of exercise. Was there something yeah. specifically about running that just worked better than other sports or other activities? Yeah, I think that... Uh, there's a human connection to running that uh, there isn't to other activities because running is very primal to who we are. You know, we evolved to run. And so while I love other sports as well, they, uh, humans are not as, as primally connected to those other sports as we are to running. You know, running is as pure as it gets. There's no implements involved. There's not a whole lot of strategy. Sometimes there is in races, but it's not like other sports where there's a, a lot of strategy involved. You know, running is very pure. It's just two people go and run as fast as they can, and the fastest one wins. And, and so uh, I've always been attracted to that. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting thought. I suppose of all the activities that humans ever perform, the one that would be the most instinctive is just is running for survival when something's chasing you mm -hmm. and you're just like i have to not die and you just run mm -hmm. that it would just really exactly. tap into that yeah that raw animal connection that we have it's one of the few activities that we don't have to be taught how to do it you know we all started from the time we were toddlers we all crawled and then walked and then ran it was just a natural progression to go from a crawl to a walk to a run you know, no one ever had to teach us how to do it or tell us to do it. We just naturally do it because it's who we are as animals. Yeah, that's a good point. Jason, sadly these days, physical education has been cut out of average child's day. And teachers are mostly thinking of covering common core standards as they don't know the importance of exercise in learning. Would you tell us how exercise can impact learning and specifically running in your case? Yeah, well, it's huge, and yeah, it's a shame that uh, a lot of schools drop physical education because, I mean, it would be better to drop calculus. <laughs> you know, we don't we can go through life pretty easy without knowing calculus, but you you can't go through life well without being physically active. You know, it's people who who don't exercise are bound to have illness. Right. And then, as far as the ability to learn, uh, there's a lot of research to show that we learn through our bodies. You know, there's actually a term for that, embodied cognition. You probably have heard of that. Yeah. And so, uh, the, you know, 
I've always thought that if I were to start my own school, that I would want to start a school in which we learn through the bodies instead of students just sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. That's not really the best way to learn. You know, we learn by doing. And so I, I think that our whole educational system needs to change because just having a teacher stand up in front of a classroom lecturing at students is not the best way to learn. There's plenty of research to show, you know, this embodied cognition. There's also a lot of research to show that kids who are physically active get better grades than those who are not physically active. So at this point, we have so much research to support movement in schools that it's a shame that, you know, when schools are looking to, to save money, one of the first things they cut is physical education classes. That is true. Unfortunately, what I've been seeing in children's today is that they're not moving as much as they used to. In my case, my parents used to make us make sure that we had extracurricular activities and exercise incorporated in our daily activities. As there were no devices back then, even though there wasn't anything planned, we were just running in our yard. I think these days getting children to run is even harder. Children are spending right. yeah, more time on their devices and less time playing in the nature. Yeah, that's exactly right. That uh, As we become more technologically advanced, it's like we have two opposing forces working against each other. On one hand, we everybody knows the benefits of exercise. Everybody knows that they should be physically active. But then on the other hand, you have all this technology that is, is strongly encouraging us to not be physically active exactly. and to just scroll on Facebook and Instagram and sitting on, you know, on a couch. And, and so, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen eventually because as society becomes less and less physically active, you know, there's going to be more illness and then the field of medicine is going to have to try to hurry up and catch up and fix all the medical problems that come from an inactive lifestyle. And it's going to put a big strain on our health care. But I don't see how to change that because it's hard to encourage people to be physically active when you have all this technology that promotes a sedentary lifestyle. Yes, I think the root of that problem is, uh, that's what I'm guessing, that might be because of staying on, on their devices is more convenient for everyone. We need to know mm -hmm. that physical activity can help offload feeling of stress and anger. But on the other side, that's like a very convenient route for parents. We need to change that mindset or maybe replace it with something new. Right. Yeah, I think it has to start young. I think to try to get adults physically active is somewhat of a waste of time. I don't think that's an uphill battle. But if we can create the habits in kids, then physically active kids are much more likely to be physically active adults and sedentary kids are much more likely to be sedentary adults. Exactly. So we really need to target kids. We need to target what's going on inside the schools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could. We could have a whole podcast on school reform because it's it's amazing that we still use a hundred and fifty year old school techniques and education techniques for how we train everyone, mm -hmm. even though we exactly. know they're not nearly as effective as other things that could work, and yet we stick with them just because history, I suppose. Yeah, and it's very difficult in a country as large as the U.S. It's very difficult to change things. Yeah, you know, I mean, think about how difficult it would be to change the way learning is done in schools. I mean, there are how many thousands of elementary schools and middle schools and high schools in America? I mean, it's just it's a big problem. I think what we need is probably 
like other types of schools that, that come into the marketplace rather than try to go mainstream with it. We need new types of schools that think differently and do things differently rather than try to change the curriculum of existing schools. That's a really interesting concept. Uh, Anita and I have been working together on a school for, for young children to really specialize in social skills because that's my area of expertise. And, and that's my mm -hmm. biggest rant about our current school system is that we teach all of these subjects. Like you say, they could live without knowing calculus, but they can't live without having good people skills. And yet we don't even bother to try mm -hmm. and teach them people skills. So in exactly. your case, though, since I know physicality, the, the physical exercise is really important to you. If you were to try and design a school, if how would you want to go about doing this? Like what would what would be like the center of this this charter school, for example, that you're imagining? Like what would you tell them and they want to listen to your advice? What would you tell them to do differently than a normal school? I think it would go back to this idea of embodied cognition, understanding that we learn best through our bodies and design curriculum that uh, uses the body to learn. So like you take the regular subjects that students learn and think about how we can integrate movement into learning the concepts. You know, like if you're studying U.S. history, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but. Maybe you do reenactments of you know, of wars and stuff like that, and the kids get dressed up and they they actually engage in what it was like to be in the 1800s and slavery, and you have them acted out or something. I've always thought tying this into to track and field, like track and field is a great sport to learn things like geometry and physics, and and uh, so I always thought that well, why can't schools use track and field to learn those kinds of subjects? Like to understand, like if you want to run faster, you have to apply more force to the ground because of Newton's third law of physics. For every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So why can't you take these kids and instead of teaching them as a lecture, take them out to the track and get them to see you? You measure somehow you measure force production against the ground and you show them how when you apply more force to the ground, that it that projects you further with every step. I mean, I think if kids did that, they would right away get it. They'd be like, wow, this totally makes sense. I just saw myself run faster because I'm applying more force to the ground. I just learned Newton's third law of physics. Yeah, and it's interesting. And even from a time management standpoint where they're worried that if they had more physical activity, it would cut out of other education time. If regular subjects involved physical activity, then you wouldn't necessarily need a separate PE class. You could just have, you know, your math and your science and your history class, like you described, could all involve, you know, being outside and physical activities. And so you end up inevitably getting exercise throughout the day while you're focused exactly. on these school subjects. Yeah, exactly. I think it's hard when you have a designated physical education class, whereas I think it'd be a lot better if that physical activity integrated into everything that they're doing every day. Because you're right, then there wouldn't be a need for a physical education class because they're on their feet moving around all day long anyway. Yeah, one of my favorite health doctors, um, he has a walking treadmill, and he says he walks about uh, 17 miles a day just in his normal everyday habit, and that's probably much more along the lines of what a real human natural lifestyle would be, like not being right. sanitary very much at all, not necessarily always running because hope, you know, hopefully you're not being chased all the time. But just more or less mm -hmm. constant movement throughout the day is much more natural for us than sitting still. Exactly. I like the idea that uh, you just mentioned. You teach history classes. If you want to teach history classes, then you just provide that or create that environment that the students 
can feel the events and uh, act accordingly. Yeah, I think that uh, that would be a great change to our educational system. But I don't see that happening unless outside, you know, people from the outside come in and try to do things differently. Yeah, it would almost have to be a private school. Yeah. And then it would just have to do so much better than other schools that it became a, a role model for, for other people to use. Right, exactly. Like, I have the idea of, um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Mathnasium. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here was this guy who wanted to teach math. He was a teacher himself, and he came up with his own method of how to teach math, and he started his own, like, tutoring type of a school. And, and you know, that has become very successful. And I don't know how many mainstream schools use his methodology, but as a standalone business and a standalone school, it's become very well known all over the country. And so I think we need other things like that that focus on different aspects. And maybe one can be physical activity. One could be like your idea of the social skills and people skills. And I think we need, you know, entrepreneurs to get involved and, and uh, try to change things. Yeah, exactly. Entrepreneurs moving in the right direction, because just like both of you mentioned before with devices, we're, we're currently going in the exact opposite direction, where we're designing electronics to be as addictive as possible and occupy as much of our attention as possible. And I mean, it was bad enough 50 years ago. I mean, they used to call television the boob tube because you could just stick your child in front mm -hmm. of it and he'd be occupied for hours. And now we have right. 50 years of more advanced technology of being even more addictive and more engaging. And it's, it's just so convenient. I mean, even even parents of very young children will hand their child a tablet before they're old enough to even know what it is, and it just keeps them mm -hmm. occupied for hours on end. So I think your point was great about we need to teach these children at a very young age to have f very physically active lives so that when they become parents, they won't give in to the temptation of just giving right. their child a device and having them sit still all day. Yeah, I agree. I'd be interested to... Uh... Like I've always thought that uh, after I die, I want to come back a hundred years later and see what society is like. I mean, when you look at all the changes that have just happened in our lifetime, you know, what's it going to be like a hundred years from now? You know, what's going to replace social media that's going to be even more addicting? What's going to be the next thing? It's a little crazy already. It's hard to imagine it can even get crazier. Yeah, for sure. We're going to be all jacked into the matrix by that point, probably. Everything's going to be like virtual reality. We're not yep. going to be able to communicate with each other anymore. There's going to be no human interaction at all. It's all going to be virtual reality and artificial intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have to have some people with a level head like you to recognize that. And this kind of advancement isn't always for the best. It causes all right. kinds of all kinds of mental health problems, depression and things like that. I mean, I encounter it in the social skills arena where because these people are, are home alone, they feel like they have friends because they're chatting on social media and they're talking to people, but their body knows that they're alone. And so mm -hmm. they feel this gripping loneliness that they can't shake and they don't understand why. Now, if they didn't have that device, mm -hmm. they would know why they feel lonely. It's because they're actually alone and they're not talking to anyone and they're not touching anyone. But when they're so mentally engaged in conversations, their brain seems to think that they have friends and they have a connection, but their body's like, no, you don't. You're completely alone in here and I feel alone. Mm, that's a very good point. In situations like that, how does exercise help in this regard? So if you've got somebody who's got way too much screen time, they're, they're staying at home all the time playing on their screen and it's gotten down, them down in a funk, maybe they're depressed, how, would, how can exercise help with that? Oh, well, it helps a lot. I and mean, there's also quite a lot of research to show that aerobic exercise, specifically running, 
uh, ameliorate symptoms of depression as well as or even better than prescription drugs. And so it turns out that running is not just great for your body, it's also great for your mind. And then it can also be very social. I mean, lots of physical activities can be social because running is one of the few things you can do by yourself if you want to, but you could also do it with other people. And so there's the social aspect of being with other people, and then there's also the psychological aspect and what it does, how it changes your brain. I gave a, a TED Talk in March all about this, that training your body changes your brain, which affects your mind because of all of the things that, that aerobic exercise does inside of your body you know it adds more neurons inside of your brain it's called neurogenesis so we get the formation of new neurons and more connections between existing neurons and that's what helps us to think that's what helps us to be creative and so running is kind of the antidote to depression and to opening up your mind to be more creative yeah it's interesting to hear you say that you mentioned your ted talk and i was listening to that just the other day And one of the problems that I frequently have with my clients is just a lack of self-confidence and a lack of self-esteem. They they don't believe in themselves. And so it it results in them not wanting to take social risks and trying new things. Is there a way that exercise can help with boosting self-esteem? Yeah, it does quite a bit. I mean, you look at people who, you know, they have something like a goal that they want to run a marathon. And at first they they think, well, I, I can't do that. You know, it's so long. But you know, I also talk about, in, a, in actually a book that accompanies the TED Talk, I talk about how we believe what we see. And so when we do things and we see that we can accomplish it, then that gives us a lot of confidence that we can accomplish even more. So like that person who wants to run a marathon, at first it's very daunting. They're doubting themselves. But then they go and run one mile and they say, oh, look, I can run a mile. Let's try for two. And then they try for two. And then they're like, oh, look, I can run two miles. Let's try for three. And before you know it, they've gotten all the way to 20 plus miles. And then they run 26 on the day of the race. And it has given them so much confidence that they went from being sedentary to being able to run 26 miles without stopping. And that's a pretty huge accomplishment for the average person. And it's like that in other areas of our lives, too, that we believe what we see. And and so when you just try something... And then you have a little bit of success. Success is the best motivator to try to do more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because the human existence is so physical that we can get a lot out of doing physical things that we may not be able to get out of doing other things. You know, we people tend to forget that humans are animals too. You yeah. know, the only thing that separates us or distinguishes us from other animals, like I mentioned this in the TED Talk, is that we just have a, a bigger, more software between our ears. We can just think about things in a way that other animals can't. But physically, you know, we share a biology very similar to that of many other animals. And I think people tend to forget that we're much more similar to our pet dog or cat than we are different. Uh, Jason, as you mentioned, consistency plays a huge role. And uh, as the first step is the hardest step, do you have any tips on how to build the habit of regular exercise? Yeah, some is, uh, well, some of it is very practical that you know, maybe you, it's something as simple as putting your clothes out the night before. Like if you want to go for a run the next morning, you know, put your clothes out the night before, lay it right next to your bed. So when you get up in the morning, the very first thing you see are the running clothes. It could be something as practical as that. Or it could be something like, uh, you know, make an appointment with somebody else that holds you accountable. And that person will call you 
and say, hey, we're going for a run. So there's lots of tricks that you can do to to just get started because it is hard for people to get over that hump and just get out the door and start. You know, I always say that uh, out of all the great companies that are out there, I think that the best slogan of any company ever is Nike's slogan of just do it. Yeah. You know, I really think that, you know, people get in their heads too much and they forget about that slogan. Just do it. Just open your door and go out the door. There's nothing to think about. You know, and, and we get so tied up in our own minds that uh, we, we create barriers for ourselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. I was actually just thinking that when you mentioned that humans are animals that just have uh, more brain space, if you will, or more, more space between their brains to think about stuff and how much that gets in their way. I encounter this mm -hmm. all the time with the people that I'm working with that just can't get out of their head. That they can't focus right. on the moment because they're too busy thinking about what they're going to say next or what might go wrong, and it just puts them in this anxious panic. Do right. you find that exercise and running in particular is useful for helping people learn to live better in the moment even when they're not running? Oh, sure. I mean, I've always found that, that running helps my focus even on other things. You know, I mean, certainly when you're running, you're forced to, to focus, especially when you're doing a hard workout. You're forced on the moment. But then that focus, that discipline can be carried over to many other areas of your life. You know, I talk about this a lot and, and when I speak and when I write, that especially the, the uncomfortable part of running. Because like when you do a hard workout or you do a hard you know, race, it's physically uncomfortable. But what you learn about yourself in those moments and how you can deal with that, that discomfort, you can carry that over to other areas of your life when, when those other areas of your life become uncomfortable. You know, there's certainly a lot of lessons that somebody can get out of being physically active and, and it's very transferable to other areas of their life. Yeah, speaking about the physical discomfort, it kind of reminds me about runner's high. I believe I heard that it was the runner's high is something like an endorphin release as a counter to the physical pain of, of running. Is that right? Yeah, it's more about, um, it's along those lines, but the, the research on this is really interesting because for so long we thought it was endorphins, but it turns out that endorphins cannot pass through the blood-brain barrier, but it's chemicals like that. It turns out that it's endocannabinoids and and the same thing you get in these psychotic drugs. And and we get a release of that when you know, when we run and, and other kinds of, of our, it seems to be, um, it seems to be limited to aerobic kinds of activities. And running, of course, is the most often studied aerobic activity. But yeah, we do get a release of, of cannabinoids in the brain. So it acts like a drug. It's this feel-good drug. And so, yeah, it's quite fascinating that you would think, well, why would running cause something like that? But it does because you know, the way humans evolve, we evolve to do things that confer some kind of advantage to our survival. And so the fact that running does release these chemicals in the brain that serves as encouragement to keep doing it because it confers an advantage to our survival. So it's, it's fascinating to me how these things occur. And if you look at it from the perspective of evolution and how we came to be who we are. Yeah, that makes me think. So I know so many people are addicted to their devices and they're addicted to them largely because they've gotten this feedback loop where their their only dopamine excitement and happiness comes from the slot machine effect of a periodically positive thing like somebody liking their post or seeing something interesting and because it's their their source of 
emotional stimulation and happiness. It makes me wonder if exercise, like running, for example, could be used to break the addiction to some of these devices, that if they got into a regular exercise habit, they wouldn't feel the need to spend so much time on social media or playing video games or whatever just to feel something good. Oh, I'm quite sure of that. Yeah. I mean, it does seem that, you know, I can't say that runners spend less time on social media than non-runners <laughs> because runners do like to share their runs. And so they're always posting about their, their workouts. But I'm sure that there's truth to that, that, that running can replace that same chemical feeling in your brain that you get from these other devices. Jason, uh, can you leave us with uh, three takeaways? Uh, sure. One is, I think what I said before, that just do it. Don't get so caught up in the fear of it or the doubt of it. You know, I mean, who cares if you can't run a lot when you first go out the door? Just open the door and, and run as much as you can or, or mix walking and running or even just go for a walk. I mean, it really is so similar. I mean, every human being on the planet can walk, you know, unless you're in a wheelchair or something. You know, walking is something that almost everybody can do. And so there's no reason to be afraid of it or intimidated by it. You know, just do it. Just go out the door and do it. And then the, the second thing is to to try to understand the benefits of exercise and, and have it become something you want to do because of its benefits, not something that you think you have to do to be healthy. You know, I, I think you know, going back to what we were talking earlier about the you know, how we learn and how it helps you to be more creative. Those are all things that, that people want. Everybody wants to be more creative. Everybody wants to think more clearly and, you know, have problem-solving skills. And, and running and other forms of exercise can help you achieve that. And then the third is make sure you have a good pair of running shoes. <laughs> Well, thank that. That's been very helpful. It was really great talking with you today. If people want to learn more about you and your work, what's the best way to find you? Uh, my website probably is drjasoncarp.com. <laughs>